Hey everyone, it's Nate. Welcome or welcome back to the Not Church Podcast. I'm so glad you are here. We created this podcast and Facebook group for you to have a place to be honest about where you're at with faith stuff. Sometimes we aren't comfortable having those conversations in churches, so the idea is that we can have them here at Not Church, and our Facebook group is the best way to do that. If you like what you hear, or you are a regular listener, can you please make sure to join our Facebook group, share this podcast, and subscribe so you can stay up to date? Either way, I hope you enjoy today's episode, and it inspires you to consider or reconsider taking your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Let's go. What's up, everyone? This is Nate Falco here, your host of the Not Church Podcast. I'm so excited that you are joining us today. Thank you. I am uh, looking forward to the conversation you're about to hear, but I uh, I just want to tell you and remind you, if this is your first time, welcome. If this is your first time back in a long time, welcome back. If you have no idea what you just got into, this is a perfect time to check us out. Um, we're going to be having an interview. Hopefully that's the next several episodes is hearing interviews from people. Um, we're starting a series that I'm calling Stories That Matter, and it's going to be about elevating stories, elevating people's stories that normally um, are silenced or not uh, elevated to the same level for different reasons, specifically around uh the topic of racism and so we're going to be hearing from one of my friends, Chris, and just his experience of being a black man. But the whole idea of not church, if you're like, I still don't understand what I'm, uh, got myself into is that whole idea is that sometimes for whatever reason, for different reasons, people are uncomfortable having conversations at church. Um, for <laughs> sometimes it's not even the church's fault. They're uncomfortable. But the whole idea of this podcast is that we're going to have those conversations here at not church and talking about race and racism and what's happening in current events is definitely something that people can be uncomfortable talking about just in general. And so I hope you check out the episode that was before this uh, with my friend Genesis. And I hope you enjoy this conversation that I have with my friend Chris. Looking forward to you guys hearing it. I'm here with my friend Chris. And Chris has become, well, he's been a dear friend of mine for a long time, almost 10 years. Yeah, he's just been an awesome friend. And he's here because we... I saw a video that he posted where he got really honest and vulnerable about his experience as a black man. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing on Not Church for a while is elevating the voices of people that sometimes are not elevated. And so we're going to do our part to uh, listen and learn from people and, uh, and elevate those stories. But what that really means is that it's a lot less of me talking and a lot more of somebody else. So with that, Chris, you want to give us just a little intro of who you are, how we got to know each other, why the freak you're my friend in, in the first place, like any of, of that course, stuff. Nate. Yeah, of course. So uh, for all who don't know, for those who don't know me, my name is Christopher D. Wright. Chris D. Wright. If you look me up on Facebook, you may want to. After all this is said and done, 
Um, so my background is I was born to a dad in the Navy and a mom in the Army in San Diego, California. I wish we'd spent more time out there because I love the warm weather, but we didn't. Yes. So because we moved around a ton, we ended up back in Rhode Island. Um, we were in Connecticut for a little bit, but we ended up back in Rhode Island. And I spent majority of my time living in a place called Exeter, Rhode Island. I was there from the age of seven till, say, uh, 20 or 21. So I spent 13, 14 years in this town called Exeter, Rhode Island. Now, for those who do not know where or have never heard of Exeter, Rhode Island, it is one of the very, it's a, it's a place in Rhode Island where it's very rural and country, but most importantly to my story, there's no cultural diversity. Zero. Um, zero. It's, it's tough. Um, I was the new kid. It makes when Coventry I was, look diverse. Okay. It does make Coventry look diverse. It, Coventry compared to Exeter is urban and has like people on the street and stuff. Exeter is cow fields. Okay. Exeter is so small to where the school district I went to had to combine with West Greenwich, the town over. So I went to a school district called Exeter West Greenwich. because We didn't have enough people. There were no, no diversity in West Greenwich either. So when I, when we first moved there as a family, I was seven and I was seven years old going to this new school and there's no one there that looks like me. And in the 13 years I spent in that community, because it's such a small uh, town, it's, you know, it's one of those things where like the people you went to school and in second grade are the same people you graduated high school with. It's the same community, same people the whole way through. People aren't moving in and out. No, exactly. People are moving in. Maybe you'd like, no one's moving out though. So yep. like the people, my friends in second grade are the same crew of people that I was with in senior year of high school. Yeah. So because of that, not a lot of racial diversity. Um, I think by the time I graduated, there were maybe five other black kids two of them being my sisters and one being another kid we met and there's maybe one person of latin descent but it, and one maybe asian american but it was rough not a lot of culture diverse but i'll go into more about that as we talk later um in exeter there was a church uh camp run by the american baptist churches of rhode island or there's a church camp there and my family was blessed enough to actually live on the property. The place was called Canonicus, Canonicus Camp and Conference Center. Um, and this is where I met Nate. So being Changed my kid, life. Uh, I appreciate that. That means a lot, Nate. But being a kid, so I would go, my mom worked for housing. So my mom worked for the hospitality side of the camp. So I got to go to camp once a week. But going to camp helped build my faith a ton as a follower of Jesus. And I'm very outright about that. Helped help my faith walk so much and obviously if you're a part of something that helps your faith walk you want to be able to give back yeah. so eventually once i was 19 i started working at camp and i'm pretty sure i met nate uh, nate you got to remind was it 2011 that you were on staff or 2012 it was it was 2011 okay so my first year on staff was nate's first year on staff as well then so that is when i met nate um and i at this point i'm excited to A, be at camp and be a part of this amazing ministry that helped me, but B, and important to my story here about my race, is that camp always had a good job of hiring international staff. So this was the only time in my growing up in Exeter where I got to not be the only minority. Camp was the only place where I felt super safe and that my opinions mattered and would be you know, looked upon because it wasn't just, I might've been the only black, I wasn't the only black person there. Yeah. There were some times we had 
in the year Nate and I were staff, we had four people from Britain. One of them was Filipino in Britain, um, British. Uh, there was years we had Asians there and, and just a lot of cultural diversity in the camp staff. Yeah. So to know that you're stuck eight, 10 weeks on this camp property with this diverse staff means you're going to get a bunch of different views on things. But we were all brought together because we all knew, we all at least knew who Jesus and God were. You know, yeah. people have different faith levels, but we all knew who they were and yeah. we believed. So that helps out a ton. Um, in our time at staff, Nate and I bonded. I, I could tell Nate cared about children and I didn't need to know Nate's background at that point so much for our job at camp to be done really well. He cared about children. He cared about uh, making sure that these children heard about Jesus and the love that Jesus provides for us. And we were able to have fun with it. Uh, we, would, we made this cool group called the Kanana Hood because we were like, let's have fun singing worship songs and random songs and pretending we're rock stars in yes. a cool boy band. And you know, we were this, a cool boy band. We were, yeah. Thank. I thought we were cool. Like, and, and the staff got behind it, and like kids would come back every year. Like, where's the Kanana hood? And we had this whole like gimmick with it, but it was fun. But it was all about us showing kids that you can have fun worshiping Jesus and yeah. stuff like that. Stick sticks with us. So I yeah. love that I've been able to stay in touch with Nate through our camp bond, and proud of this platform that he has here. You know, seeing yeah. him come a long way. Yeah. Chris, you're more um, eloquent and well-spoken than I am because uh, <laughs> because that um, that is a great thing. But I don't want Chris to fool you because I want you to know the impact that he had on life because he, he made me sound really good. I came into this camp experience with a bad attitude, right? And I was mad at the world. But you know what changed it? Is that the first day Chris here drops an F-bomb I and I go, yes. I go, you know what? I got a friend here. <laughs> like, me and Chris are going to be great. <laughs> and so That's right. that changed my bad attitude. So, That's hey, sometimes right. cussing, you know, has, has its uh, good parts. I guess so. If it helped you make you feel comfortable, it must have worked because we were good after that then for sure. Yes. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, I hope, you know, that I can just reiterate there is that I think Chris is an amazing leader, um, as he said um, about me, but it's really true about him is that he's loved kids well, he loves people well, and um, and I've seen him continue to just grow as a leader. Now, you know, that's been amazing. This is how we stay connected. It's great. Um, but with all that said, I know and can imagine that these past couple of days, weeks, and really months at this point has not been easy for you um and so as we transition to talk about you know one year video and how you're being vulnerable talking about your experience um, as a black man i was wondering if to kind of enter into that conversation if you could just give us an overview of how you've been handling this whole covid pandemic but then in the middle of that um you're having to on an emotional level deal with the death of three innocent people of color with Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. How has that kind of just overview been impacting well, you? Well, at first, it's uh, at first, like the first week or two of all the regulations and changes of COVID happening hit me hard because I, I'm an extrovert. Okay. So yep. when I'm not at work, 
all of my hobbies have to do with being with people. I'm an athletic person, so I'm in volleyball leagues. I was in a bowling league before everything got shut down. Uh, I work out at – I currently work at a, the YMCA, so I, have, I work out at the gym often when I'm not doing any of those other things. And so to have that a part of my daily routine and for it just kind of stop sucked. Like, it's just – and as of someone who's really big on those routines and everything, that was really tough for me. So there was that aspect. Uh, that aspect of it second aspect is that my family lives in connecticut and they've been there for the past i want to say maybe four or five years so imagine not having your outlets to keep you you know not stressed out at the world but at the same time you can't go and easily like be with your family for family support yeah. so that those two things made it hard and on top of that I had had plans to move in with my girlfriend in back in April and we essentially had to put all those on hold because of the COVID implications made it. So both of us kind of lost our jobs momentarily. So the, the, there was financial stress at first, there's emotional stress because I can't do my outlets and I can't go see my family just on a whim. Cause then I got to come back in quarantine and not be able to work. So yeah. at first COVID that hurt a lot. So that was like the first month, but then and this is thanks to my faith and seeing a lot of other posts uh, about things I, about not worrying, you know, and trying mm. to control what I could control. Um, it became a, it, it, I just started focusing on things I could control. Yeah. So now I'm at the point where, you know, I was able to, because of the unemployment thing going on and the stimulus checks, I have more money saved in my savings account than I ever would. So it's nice to be able to see that like I was upset about so much things in COVID, but I focused on what I could control and now it's kind of been a blessing in disguise. So looking up as things are getting, you know, my work's coming back. Um, The Y should open in like late June. Um, I found work through deliveries of Panera bread and I'm able to do volleyball again. That started up last week. So things are on the up and up and I'm just glad that I was able to find the blessing in disguise essentially about the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so and that's COVID. That's and just that's, the COVID side. Yes. It, right? That's the COVID because right. then, because right. then, so like what's interesting then, so you're dealing with that the first month and then, and then we, then the race problem rears its ugly head and really it's never gone away, but mm-hmm. it shows up. And so what has that been like? Like that just enters into everything that you're dealing with. So at first, also important to know about me is I, I'm not as well informed as I probably should be as an African-American male and as someone in my late 20s who, you know, I can be using platforms to promote change and everything. So that's something I have to work on. Despite that, I was still able to hear about the George, the George Floyd killing. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I literally just went like this. Like I took my hand and I just hit my face, like that face palm emoji. Because yeah. at this point, I'm, I'm enraged by it. but the enraged feeling gets suppressed by just a numbness at this point. And it's sad that it's a numbness, but I immediately started thinking how long ago was Trayvon Martin? Mm -hmm. And I looked it up. That was February of 2012. So it's been eight years and this is still happening. I saw a post where somebody had put a like collages of all the pictures of the innocent uh, colored deaths that have happened in the form of police brutality. There's 24. So in eight years, there's been 24 different deaths from the same 
cause. Yeah. And at this point, it's sad and it's numbing. And it shows that like, like we really haven't made all that much progress and figuring out why that is and what we can do is a whole nother, you know, topic. But so at first I was just really numb to it. I shouldn't yeah. have to be numb to it. I should stay enraged about it, but it's as a black man and you see it happening over and over and over again for eight years, it's numbing and it, it's sad. That's where our country's at right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can just, you know, yeah. Like I, I was gonna say I can imagine, but <laughs> <Right>. I can't. <laughs> like I mean, right. that's, yeah. that's the thing is that like, I mean, I I am somewhat imagine, but I you know that, yeah, I it's right. crazy that you're dealing with one um, stressful emotional issue, and then you're reminded of hey, look at the situation, then hasn't been taken care of. Where you know, right? Exactly. It's just eight. overall disgusting. And it, just think of it like this: like I and I kind of this is kind of comical, but. It's like, despite all the national media that happened with Trayvon Martin, what happened with whoever before, like, did none of the officers ever have a meeting and sat down like, hey, guys, see what happened on TV just now? Yeah, we can't let that happen in our, uh, like, did that, I feel like that meeting never happened. Because, yeah. like, I know, I'll put it personally, like, I work at a South County YMCA, right? And we work in a, I work in a before and after school child care section. And every year during training, we get showed a video of uh, something that happened in another Y where like a, a child was abducted by their uncle or something. And, and it tells us why we need to check IDs when we let parents get picked up. So my thought is like when Trayvon Martin happened, I guess all the other cops didn't come together and say, hey, don't abuse your power. We don't want this to be us. Because if that had happened, then it makes me think that 24 other deaths wouldn't have happened, you know? So yeah. like that that's how I feel about the whole thing and it it's, it's just sad man it's just sad. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what this brings up and what this can be um you know I want to before we get into this one I want to acknowledge that I know that this can be hard one maybe for you to talk about um mm. but then also you know this this can be hard sometimes for people to listen because there's so many emotions and thoughts and opinions that fly around in this. But I want to pause here before we continue into your story because mm -hmm. what's important about the reason we're doing this is that what's key and crucial here is that you as a black man living in Exeter, small town <laughs> and stuff, you have experiences that I don't. Now, you know, I, I lived in a small town, but I'm white. Okay. I had different parents. I had, you know, there's so many different things, so many different experiences. And the key that we're having this, the key reason we're having this conversation is that uh, it is important to hear the experiences of different black people. And so that is why we're having this conversation. That's why you've agreed to have this conversation. Um, yes, sir. And it's why it's important for us as listeners to listen to this. And so with that, again, I know that as we get into some of this, this, this is uh, challenging for some people. But, um, you know, one of the reasons that this is emotional and a problem, and when you see something like what happened to George Floyd, um, and you see the, all, the just long list of people, is that, is that there's a race issue. There's a racism issue. And so to dive into that, I was wondering if you could share um, – whether you, your friends, your family have ever been threatened or felt threatened because of the color of your skin. 
you know, yes. example or something like that. Yeah, so I point to two examples, one an actual example, and one kind of like a, I don't know if I'd call it an example or not, but I'll let you guys judge from there. So um, when, let's see, I think our second year into being an exeter, so I was either eight or nine when this happened, uh, we had neighbors who were next door. They were white. And my dad was out in the driveway working on his car. Now, our driveways, because we were like living in a camp, uh, it was kind of just this random dirt driveway, driveway that was in between the two houses. So me and my family are in the smaller house, and the white family that lived next door to us were in the bigger house there. So apparently some domestic something had happened at the white family's house, and they had called the state police on, I guess, the father of that family. So they called the state police. Now, again, at this point, I'm in the house doing whatever, but I know I, my dad is outside working on his car. Oh. So after like five minutes, I look out the window and I see state police cars are in our driveway and my dad is pinned against the hood of his car, like with his face on the, on the hood, like handcuffs behind him. And at this point, I'm like, why, why is dad getting arrested? Like why, what did, did he didn't do anything? He was working on his car. At this point, I thought he was getting arrested because, like, the police drove by and saw him smoking marijuana. Like, my dad always smoked marijuana. And as, you know, back in, let's see, when I'm nine, it's 2001. So, you know, we're not as <laughs> cool with right. uh, marijuana as we are now. So I'm afraid that my dad's about to go to jail for marijuana possession. You know, I had no clue. Right. So my dad eventually comes inside, you know, the cops have let him go and he explains to us what had happened. And he'd said that he was outside working on the car, not smoking marijuana. And the pol state police came up and asked him, Hey, are you Mr. You know, and then the neighbor, I don't want to say his name on there. That'd be terrible, whatever. But are you the neighbor? And my dad said, no, that's their next door. And even though my dad said, no, they're next door, they grabbed him, pinned him against the hood of the car and put handcuffs on him. They didn't let him go until my neighbor came out of his house to say, oh, no, you're looking for me. That's me. He's not him. That's me. And I sat here and think, what would happen if my neighbor never came out of the house? Right. Like, what was going to stop the state police from taking my dad away or harming him even more? And he was outside working on his damn car. Like, why, yeah. why is that threatening? Like, why, yeah. why did he need to get handcuffed? for answering the questions and complying and, you know, working on his car. So that experience has stayed with me throughout all of childhood. What's unfortunate is being in Exeter in the all white school. I, to this day, I think I've maybe shared that experience twice once with mm -hmm. you now and once on the video that I posted on my Facebook wall. So my white friends never knew about that. And my, uh, just my close knit friends never knew about that. They also never knew about how I felt as the quote unquote token black kid in the school. Yep. And looking back now, I wonder like, did I fail my black community that I, you know, I don't really, not really in a black community. I'm in an all white community, but did I fail my black brethren for not educating my white friends about how I felt about that, about how I felt mm -hmm. about everything that was going on. So at, like I felt like my voice wasn't going to be heard or I didn't want to ruffle any feathers and get kicked out of the all white community and have no friends. So 
that was tough as well. So, but that experience with my dad stayed with me for a long time and not talking about it clearly stayed with me as well. So I'm glad that I'm at a place now where I can share. Had I shared all that four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, maybe people would have more voices. There'd be more outcry for a lot of the stuff that's going on. So maybe I failed and wasn't loud enough, but so yeah, that would be the only really two kind of struggles that I had with race. I got called a nigger once in school, but I made sure it never happened again because I got in the guy's face about it. So I'm glad my school didn't kick me out for that. Um, but those are really the two things, or I guess the three things after the N-word incident. So, yeah. yeah. You know, so something that you raise in there that, like, you know, I've heard from talking to, to different friends is that, like, this pressure and – Look, by no means am I an expert, and so anybody listening or you, Chris, can disagree with mm-hmm. this, but this pressure you put on, like, the need to educate your white friends. Why do you need really? to educate? Like, I, it's true that they need to be educated, but mm-hmm. what's unfortunate and compounds this issue is why does Chris Wright have to be the one that has to educate them? Okay? Right. Like, right. the hell? I mean, <laughs> like. Yeah. You it, are the one experiencing the issue. Right. You don't also have to be the one that and, – and listen, I I will also say that, like, I – what helped me grow a ton is that a person of color um, changed my life and, and educated me and took time to educate me, and I am thankful for that. And I am right. thankful for the people in my life who've had patience. But I want to highlight specifically for the white people listening that <laughs> – it is not the responsibility. It is not the responsibility of the people of color in your life to educate you. We have the internet. We have podcasts. We right. have a lot of resources. And you do right. not have to just, like, it is not their responsibility. Um, and so yeah. I, I understand. And so none of that is to say you're stupid for feeling that way. Right. What I'm saying is I've heard that from multiple people. So you're not the only one that feels that way. And it breaks my heart that you and other people feel that way because yeah. you're the one experiencing racism. You don't have to be right. the one that also fixes it. Okay. And so I don't know. It just, it's just something that I've heard a lot recently and breaks no, my yeah. heart. I wish I had known that back before I graduated high school in 2010, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now, so that's that's 10 years ago. Like, had I had I been confident in that, it would have been great. But I wasn't, so right. you know, here we are now. Yeah. So you know, within that, something that I've heard and we were talking about before recording that um, this is a this is one of the issues is really it boils down to trust because when we um when we hear a story like that, okay, I'll be honest with you that. Mm-hmm this will show where, how messed up I was at the time. If you had shared that story with me, um, when we first met, I wouldn't right. have said this to you because I'm smart enough not to say this to your <laughs> right. face. <laughs> right. Okay? Yeah. Inside, I would have been like, well, your dad probably was smoking pot. Or right, yeah. I would have been like, your dad was doing something sketchy. He probably had an attitude and gave the cops an attitude. I wouldn't have. And at the end of the day, what it boils down to is I would not have trusted your experience. Mm. Okay. Now, that's past Nate. Current Nate is a little better. I don't know how much better, okay? But I know that that's not true, and I do trust your experience. And so when I hear that story, it breaks my heart, and and, and I do trust it. But part of what I'm asking here for you to respond to 
is I'm assuming that that's part like that fear that people aren't going to believe you and trust your experience is part of the fear that you've had. But then, but then also just like respond to, to what I'm saying that like, yeah, just your general thoughts around that, that like, yes. So it's, so it's funny. And this also brings up a story that I don't know if you, between us, and I'm not sure if I've ever told you this, but so it, uh, knowing that I don't have the trust of people or thinking that I don't, it just, it makes me feel at first of like, Oh, just, they don't care. Yep. So my interactions with this person have to be, you know, at face value, I'm going to be cordial and everything. Cause that's how I was raised. And that's what my faith teaches me to do. But at some point I have to cut this person off and I can't go super deep into their, you know, what I need to say to them or, you know, what topics to bring up when we had met. And I don't remember exactly when we had this conversation, but I think we were talking about your kind of upbringing from the South. And I don't know if you still do or not, but I remember like talking, getting this on the su- the subject of the Confederate flag yep. and, and thinking about like, I think you would, you would either mention like you, you gave a reason as to why people still put it up. Yep. And for the longest time I was like, Oh great. He flies the Confederate flag. So is yep. he, is he, there's gotta be some racism in him still. I gotta, I can't, I can't tell him everything that I'm feeling about right now. So that's the original feeling you get. The cool thing is, as a follower of Christ, you remember that, okay, well, what does Christ tell me to do? Jesus says I'm supposed to love everyone. Okay, so if I'm supposed to love everybody, then maybe they just are ignorant to what I'm feeling. Maybe they just have a closed mind because they have different experiences than I have. And that, that thought process has helped me shape and show that I can trust people easily. Because for all I know, they just haven't been, you know, they haven't been shown anything else than what they've grew up. We're all products of our environment. So if they've never seen anything out of their environment, I can expect them to trust me right away like that if they've never seen anything like that. So remembering that Jesus calls us to love everyone as themselves helps to kind of build that trust barrier a little faster for me. And that's helped me build trust with you, despite thinking in the back of my head like oh great he flies a flag in the back of his truck like i don't know but like that didn't stop me from trusting you because if jesus could trust you then i have no choice but to trust you anyway you know yeah you know and so first like the thing that that highlights because i don't remember that and but it sounds like that sounds like 2011 (laughs) nate right yeah so i totally believe you because um yeah it sounds like me back then um the the issue that that highlights though is that like i want to break a little bit of that up for you to like um, yeah of course you on is that you know so first like there is a um i i like part of what i want people to hear and understand is that if when you say things your words carry it carry weight i mean in this example i I didn't know that. You right, know? Yeah. Like I said things that were stupid. You were <laughs> correct in assessing that they were ignorant. I was being ignorant. Okay. Yeah. And I hadn't experienced things. And you carried the weight of that. Now, luckily, um, you're mature enough um, and you're close enough with Jesus that you're able to forgive even for something that, that I wasn't even sorry about yet. And, <laughs> right, and right. you are able to work through that, and and that's more of a testament to your maturity than than anything about me. But within that, 
like part of what I hope people hear is that like that's amazing that you did that and I appreciate it um like it's literally like hearing the story like I'm legitimately not saying this like thank you for not giving up on our friendship on me being an asshole like you're welcome because the hell's wrong with fascinate what's wrong with you like you can't do that crap okay like god dang it man oh my gosh that's so embarrassing what an idiot um but well, it uh, helped that we had met at the place we did too though because there was no doubt like all right well he's here at camp and he's employed so he clearly knows who jesus is and like he's not the worst person ever like yeah, if you said that to me on the side of his street then it'd be different like, I'd be like i don't know if he knows who god is like i can't trust this guy so yeah worked out but um but part of what the final thing point that i want to make in that is that that still does not absolve me of the responsibility in that situation. Mm-hmm. I should have been better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to be better going forward and people need to be better going forward because a key point in this that I've been hearing people say and that I've heard you say and that I'm hearing you say even now is that like, if that trust, like, it is so crucial to to for you to feel that somebody trusts your experiences and that somebody trusts that when you say you've experienced racism or you've experienced pain and hurt that i trust and believe that right and so you share an example of where you didn't experience that i'm curious if you can flip that and what is it like (laughs) when you do hear when you do have that feeling of like, man, I can trust this person. This person at least has an idea. Like they believe me um, and I have an idea, they have an idea of where I'm coming from. So like well, what's the opposite experience? So, so the opposite is it's a super empowering. You know, we hear all the time about there's power in numbers, you know? And so in you know, there's power in numbers. So I can speak freely and know that you're going to ride or die with me through good or through bad or whatever. I can speak my mind about a topic and even if you disagree with it or it's something that you don't think at the moment, because I know you trust that you're going to listen to my viewpoints, I can bring it up to you. I have a, I have a, a place to speak from. I have a platform. I don't have to just hold it in and just go about my day and wait to bring it back to my family who happens to be out of state. So that, that's not as easy as a place to bring it to. So it's nice to know that like I've got people that I can trust that I can, Hey, I'm upset about this. Like, can we talk about it? Can we, what are your thoughts? Am I being too unreasonable? Do you, do you not know I have any clue? So that's, it's super empowering. There's power in numbers. Um, and back in the day, I didn't know who to trust in certain things because I didn't know which group I belonged to when you're the token, when you're deemed the token black friend in your friend group for all of your high school, all of your junior high, all of like the formative years in your life, and you don't have a black community to soundboard why you're upset about things on, you don't know who to trust. It was easy to trust people in my church setting, even though my church didn't have a lot of diversity, knowing everybody had the same background that Jesus loves everybody knew that, okay, I'm going to be accepted because we all have that same viewpoint or at camp. When we met, even though we were strangers at first, I knew, Hey, he signed up for a 10 week experience to help, you know, put Jesus in people's lives, I can trust him because I know that we have that same goal. But in my friend group in high school, I wasn't sure where everybody stood on the faith-based thing. And that was the one thing that I could hold on to to be like, okay, I trust you, even though 
you're not going to have the same racial experiences as I am. So if you take that out of the equation, I didn't know who to trust and I didn't feel empowered back then. Fast forward 10 years from senior year in high school, I'm empowered now and I can talk to Nate about, you know, not trusting him before because I know where he stands with God and I can trust him now. But yeah, so that I feel empowered with it now a lot more than I did back then for sure. Yeah. And, you know, as we start to move toward wrapping up, but like, again, I can't reiterate this enough that like, if you hear one of the biggest takeaways that I've been hearing and learning that white people can do in these and with, with fighting racism is, mm-hmm. is the listening and trusting people's stories. Yes. yes. Okay. And, and I think that's across the board, regardless of faith, where I will like dive headfirst into we should be better. I should have been better um, in the past is that Jesus is the clear example of this. Before Jesus left, he gives, and if you disagree with this, that's totally fine. You're always welcome at not church. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, you can push back on this at any point, but I'll tell you what I believe. And what I see is that when Jesus, right before leaving earth, okay, right before peacing out, right before dying, okay, he says, guys, if you forget everything I've done over the past couple of years, okay, I want to boil this down for you, okay? And this is like, this is the guiding thing that I want my followers to be known for. I want you to be, I want you to love others, okay? And if we stop right there and we're just like, oh, you know, you gotta love others, that's nice and you <laughs> right. know, flowery, whatever. But he, he adds, a qualifier to how you're supposed to love others. Love right. others as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love people? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't, when somebody said, hey, Jesus, I'm struggling. Hey, Jesus, my kid died. Hey, Jesus, I need food. Hey, Jesus, I need something. He didn't say, ah, I don't believe you. Okay? <laughs> he didn't say, oh, well, you probably shouldn't have, uh, you probably shouldn't talk that way. You probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't have, okay? Time and time again, Jesus took time to listen for listen to and care for the people coming to him um i could preach about that forever but mm-hmm. um i say that because the thing that i have learned the most over the years is learning to trust and listen to black people's experience and if we did that better who knows where the world would be if i had done that better in 2011 i wouldn't have said stupid stuff to you and <laughs> and and there, I would have, I mean, like, it would at least change things from, from that point of view. But mm-hmm. life is a journey, and you keep growing and learning, and thankful for you and that. But with you that, part of, part of what I want um, to close with is just ask you, um, for people listening, what would you say to them? Like, what would you ask them to do or to change or some like, so they see the stuff happening in the news, they hear your story, they watch your video, you know, they're frustrated that racism exists and that these issues mm-hmm. exist. What would you say? What, what would you ask them to do? Well, first, I, I've, in all the posts I've seen, I am upset with, I'm not upset with, sorry, I'll bring that back. But I am, I'm, I'm shown that people don't really know what Black Lives Matter actually means. So first, I want to clear that up. From this is from my understanding of it. When people say Black Lives Matter, okay, they're not saying that a hey, Black Lives Matters and White Lives don't matter, Red Lives don't matter, Yellow Lives don't matter, 
and I'm seeing blue lives, this police, police lives don't matter. That's not what Black Lives Matter means. Black Lives Matter is being said because historically, there have been systems that have set up in America that have suppressed black lives. And based on those systems and the laws, black lives haven't mattered. Because if they did matter, if black lives really mattered, I don't think the Europeans would have gone to Africa to find labor. Like really think about it. If the Europeans are like, we're gonna build the country by ourselves, we don't need anyone else's help. They don't take a trip to Africa to bring back slaves on a boat, okay? So there's one example where black lives don't matter. Okay, so but Chris, slavery's over. Yeah, slavery's over, but now we're in the time of segregation where there's separate but equal laws, where the blacks had resources that were, quote, they're separate from the whites, which if, again, if black lives mattered, you don't need to be separate. We can all just be together. But they were separate from the whites and they weren't equal. They were of lesser quality. So again, if black lives mattered then, then everything should have been the same quality, right? So there's another example. Um, eventually in legislation, when they're trying to get rid of segregation laws, um, and actually I gotta go backwards a little bit because it's around the time when slavery's just kind of sort of ended or still around, uh, legislation happened so that black people only count for three fifths of a vote for, to change. And the South wanted that to happen so that they would get more votes versus the Northern part of the state. But again, three fifths. So you're telling me it takes five of me to vote to count for three votes because five times three fifths is three. Go math. I'm a math major as well. Go figure. Um, so it takes five of me to vote to get three votes, but three of my white counterparts to get three votes. So clearly we don't matter then. We didn't get the right to vote until a hundred years later. So clearly our lives don't matter then. So fast forward into this century, you can't sit here and tell me that when you say all lives matter, all lives don't matter equally. If they did, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee a long time ago, he wouldn't have lost his job. He wouldn't have gotten so much pushback virally from not just the NFL and the owners and those that run the league, but he would have, like, that wouldn't have happened. That, I feel like, got more negative attention at first than the George Ford video came out, and you got the officer on the guy's knee. So if black lives mattered the same throughout all these years, all these would have been treated equally, but they weren't, you know? So I get frustrated with people when, and notice people only say all lives matters as a response to black lives matters, you know? Like, I don't see, I didn't see posts about blue lives matter until like a month ago when people are talking about police brutality, you know? Yes, cops' lives matter just like everybody else. As a believer of Jesus Christ, I believe we all need to be loved and represented equally. But it hasn't been that way historically, and it does, as a black man, it doesn't feel that way now. Yeah. So when I say black lives matter, it's like a reminder like, hey, don't forget about us, because yeah. y'all have in history. So that's yeah. one thing I really want people to take away. If they don't remember anything else I've said in the past, whatever time, that needs to be remembered. And yeah. secondly, now that you know this, don't be silent. And a lot of you are going to say, but I'm not sure where to start. Silent isn't helping because that's complacency. And if you're complacent with the way the system is now, it's never going to change. It may, I understand why you would be complacent because you're, it's not affected you. You're not suppressed. Right. You, you know, so I can get where you wouldn't need to go change something because everything is good for you. 
and you know we don't like change as a as a people we just don't like change but don't be silent and if you're not sure what to not be silent about don't focus on the side effects and when i say that don't focus on the rioters the looters the destruction of property all which i don't condone it's terrible i don't i'm not a violent guy i don't want to see that either but if we really thought about it and said if there wasn't any protest black protest if we didn't feel like we were being suppressed i bet those riots and looting wouldn't happen like because it wasn't happening if it was happening before the only time was when a sports team won a super bowl like when the eagles won the super bowl back then and the town went crazy or like when college teams don't win and then they riot other than that we don't hear about police lives being lost to innocent people we only hear about it when it's because protests are happening first and so that that's what i want the people to leave with don't be silent and stop posting about everything else if we all were to focus on wanting that reform wanting the laws to be changed so that black people don't feel suppressed then everything else is going to go away you know so that's the main thing i want people to kind of remember and hear you know you know there's a lot there's a lot there and like i mean i hope that people listen in like they really listen to that explore that and go and go back to what we were saying before is that can i trust chris okay right like can i trust chris's experience and whether you know chris or not okay i don't mean this as like no go ahead you good so one i was talking to somebody recently about how i've changed from 2011 to 2020 nate and Mm -hmm. one of the things that dawned on me is that in a conversation like this, me sitting here as a white guy, right? Am I going to trust that Chris has a little more experience about what it's like to be a black man in this world than <laughs> right, I do? Right, right, yeah, <laughs> right. I, there's a lot of things think about, but yeah, there's a lot like, of things that I think I know more about than you. Okay, I'm smarter. Right. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. Things. Okay, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go out and make this bold statement that you know more about being a black man. Than well there we go and so and so i you know and it's silly when you put it that way but this is the issue that going going on inside of us is that when we hear stories and we hear experiences and we hear somebody pushing against what we believe there's something in us this was in me and i've heard it from so many people that you push back and go i can't trust that i can't trust that okay Mm -hmm. but what i'm imploring and begging people is hey when it comes to the experience of the black people in america Maybe let's trust them. Maybe let's listen to them. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, their experience is worth listening to. You know, one quick example that highlights that is that what would have happened if we had taken Colin Kaepernick's protest seriously? Yes. Okay. Like, yes. And, and listen, and I'll be completely honest. I, was, I have a brother in the military, tons of friends in the military. Okay. I was conflicted at the time. I was silent. I didn't say, I didn't say anything because I was like, you know, I was like, I understand. I had grown a little bit and stuff. And at the time I was like, I understand his point, but like, come on, like do that on your own time. I don't know. Something stupid like that. It's probably what I was thinking. Um, but, but seriously, if we had taken that seriously at the time, here we are four or five years later. All right. And, and here we are. Right. And so what if we took, black people in america's experiences seriously mm-hmm. this is my final question for you um 
unless you have anything else you want to share. Um, but my, my question is, is that as you dream, okay. And you dream mm -hmm. about the future and that can be hard to do right now. Right. But if you, if you dream about everybody that's listening, if the whole world listened to this podcast and they took what you had to say and they applied it, what mm -hmm. do you, uh, what do you dream would happen with that? So I guess this dream is super specific to me. So I am currently in a relationship with someone who's white and we have a great future together. And I'm, you know, I want to eventually have kids with this person and marry her and everything. So I Aww. dream that, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. But so my dream is that in 10 years, well, no, we'll say in 15 years when my kid is, my child is like a teen or, you know, going forward, I dream of a reality where I, my child feels like they have a place of belonging in whatever community they're in. And if we happen to be a, in a community that's not very diverse, I hope that their friends that are of a different color of this child can love them and listen to them and be ready to support them like that when they're feeling that they're having issues of racial suppression. Because I, I didn't feel that I didn't have that luxury. So if I can somehow set up a future where my kid can, that's awesome. And then I feel like I've definitely done something to help, whether help have my voice heard and everything. So that's a personal dream. Overall, I dream that conversations like these won't be so hard to have between friends, between coworkers. Uh, and I dream that ultimately that the system will somehow change, that those in power can somehow hear all the voices of not just the ones they're suppressing, but their contemporaries that are not being suppressed. And I dream that they can help make that change happen as well. Yeah. Love it, dude. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, uh, I appreciate you. I thank you so much for sharing, um, just different experiences you've had your perspective. Um, you again continue to be a bold leader and you have a story worth sharing sorry i didn't always recognize that but, it's okay but i recognize it now and will continue to elevate leaders like you um and specifically elevating you because i think you have a lot to share with the world and so thank you for doing that here um you know for people uh they want to get in touch with you we'll link your social stuff um um as you mentioned earlier, and you can, I know you said in your video, you don't mind people hitting you up. And so exactly. feel free to do that. You can also always hit me up and tell me I'm stupid. Uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay. You can, you can say, Nate, how the free did you ever have a Confederate flag? And I can, <laughs> we can roast me on that. No um, worries. But uh, yeah, you know, Again, I just can't reiterate enough uh, just how much I appreciate your leadership. Thank you, man. I appreciate this platform and your willingness to use it and your willingness to go at this with an open mind and know that, hey, I may need to do some growing because admitting that is half the battle. And that makes, I feel like the rest of it a little easier. So go you. Props to you, man. Can't wait to keep doing this stuff together. So I appreciate you, Chris. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, man. 
Bam, thank you guys so much for listening to that interview with Chris. As he said, feel free to hit him up on social media. You can hit us up on social media. If you have my number, text me. I'd love to hear from you. As always, you're more than welcome to disagree or push back. But I hope that you seriously consider it, especially right now in such a crucial time in our country. Thank you guys for checking out Not Church. Looking forward to doing this again. Can't wait to see and hear from you guys. Peace. Peace.